track. All right. Hey, everyone. Just uh, rotating back and forth. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to today's show with uh, Beyond the Boundaries, a group relation podcast. And I'm here today with my co-host, Rod Smith. Hey, hey, hey. Amber Williams. Hey, everyone. And Lauren Levy. Hey. What's up, gang? What's up? Not much. Um, You know, I'm glad to be here with y'all today. We're going to be talking about group relations conferences, um, which I'm pretty excited about. I think we'll talk about it in a way that kind of gives a little bit more um, inside scope of what these look like. Um, That also has our experiences in it, which is all different. Um, I can imagine. So um, what is a group relations conference structure? What does that look like um, for folks? Well, I think it depends on, you know, first of all, the reason we wanted to do this was because I feel like when we tell our friends or family we're going to a group relations conference, they're like, what does that mean? (laughs) Like, what are you spending your life doing for the next three five seven twelve whatever days we're like well you don't have to be there you know like I'll tell you about it when I get back and then you do and they're still confused but um I think to start as just mentioned group relations conferences can go anywhere technically I guess from any amount of time to any amount of time most commonly I'd say they're like three days on average um some are two. I think Amber said they're on staff for one coming up. That's, um, um, I guess it's a forum. That's a one day. But it would be possible, I guess, if someone wanted to call a one day thing a conference. And then they have international conferences. There's residential conferences where you sleep overnight and hang out with everyone there nonstop, which definitely creates an interesting um dynamic as well so from a structural standpoint it can happen anywhere in the world for any amount of time um and i guess from there um there's a certain set of uh events that happen on a uh, on a regular basis that fall under the tavik stock model of how we would run an actual group relations conference all right. So you said a lot there. Now, how can we take this and um, digest it a little bit for our listeners? Well, where would you like to take us? <laughs> okay. So let's say we, we're, we're here um, and we're going to a non-residential uh, conference, group relations conference. Um, what, what do the attendees anticipate that will look like? How will it start? How, you know, who's coming? And then what are the... Um, uh, events happening. Are you directing that to anyone? Or are you just going to open it up and let us just jump in? Yeah, open up, jump in as you please, y'all. Come on now. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I can jump in then. So with um, so the, the different group relations conferences, especially if we're talking about a non-residential one and, and any of them for that matter, they really are, are designed in a way in accordance with uh, the staff, the conference director conference director and her staff, depending on his or her staff, depending on how they want to run it, um, will set up the conference so that it can achieve what the conference is trying to get to. 
or does it the, uh, to support the learning of the participants who attend the conference? Generally speaking, uh, you have what you call an opening plenary. Uh, you have large group sessions, you have small group sessions, um, and then you have some kind of a institutional event uh, that can take place. Uh, within that general structure, uh, there are some other things that take place, um, possibly, and it just depends on what the uh, learning is for that particular conference and what the um, uh, conference director would like to do. Uh, other events like a social dreaming matrix. Uh, sometimes there are leadership seminars that are offered uh, within those uh, events. And, and then it kind of goes from there. So I, I'll, I'll leave some digesting open for, for us as a group to, to kind of go through each one of those. But mm -hmm. uh, just naming the different structures. Um, there you have it. Okay, so so... Let's walk through the experience, right? So let's say you are a, um, a member that's signed up to go to this conference, right? So I remember when I was going to my first conference, I didn't know what to expect. I'm walking in and, you know, I think there's anxiety because, you know, it's a conference. I'm going to be meeting some people. I'm going to be learning some cool things about leadership and authority, as it's, as it's said in the description. Um, and so, you know, you get there and... How do you, how do you, how, what was your experience with your first time getting to a conference just at the beginning and just everything leading up to that point? And that's open to everyone. Well, I think for me, like the first thing that I recall is like getting a bunch of texts, um, like articles and things to, to read to prepare you for the experience that you're about to go through. And like the PSAs on the website of like, if you're pregnant or if you're experiencing a really difficult time in your life right now, maybe postpone coming to this thing. And also like disclaimers, like, this is in no way meant to be therapy. And it's like, okay, so clearly your people are walking away feeling distraught, disheveled, feeling as if maybe they were in some type of therapy malpractice or something of the sort. And like these texts and articles are going to help ground me and, and steep me in, in what we're about to embark on. But I think for what I think some people um, that I talk to understand, but others maybe don't, is that a lot of that is just gibberish and like jargon until you actually like have something to relate it to, or at least that's how I felt. Um, I felt like, um, I don't know what this means that consultants are a nautical guide <laughs> or like, what is what does this really mean around like, boundaries, authority, role, and task. Like, like what, what is, what is the embodiment of that? What does that actually feel like? So I think for me, there's just a lot of, there was a lot of disorientation, a lot of like apprehension and like semi fear um, going into my first conference. Um, but I do think luckily I had the class that we had spoke about in um, a previous episode, uh, Lead 55600 at University of San Diego, that at least set us up with some of the context of what it is that we were going to experience. But a conference is completely different than a class setting, and there's not as much of like the scaffolding and the handholding and the pause to take a moment to like break this thing down. Like shit's just flying, and you gotta catch up as fast as you can. So. That's kind of my like beginning before I arrived uh, feeling um, that I remember from my first conference. And then I think too, something that may be a significant for folks, like attending a conference with people that you know can be 
can feel safe in some ways, depending on who the person is, but can also feel even more exposing and even more nerve wracking. And so for me, I was coming into that conference, my first conference with like 50% of the people that were in the membership also were in the class with me the semester before. So for me coming into that space felt even more like heightened dangerous um, because of the experiences I had had um, previously with uh, some of those same people. So that's me. Yeah. My first one was in New York and I was so excited because I'd never been to New York before. Um, We were in Harlem and I went with one of my um, cohort members from my graduate program. But kind of like Amber was saying, I went in feeling like, cool, I have this person with me that I know I'm going to feel so supported. Um, But I quickly found out that, you know, at group relations conferences, they, as long as they can, they try and separate you from the people that you know, so that your experience is less hampered by having other individuals around you who might make it harder for you to fully express or experience. Um, and even on breaks, I felt like having my my friend there kind of didn't help. And then I felt angry towards her because I was like, I thought we were in this together, but it didn't really pan out that way. Um, but yeah, I was definitely anxious and nervous um, being in a new place, um, trying to figure out how to get to the conference center. It was at um, a college there. Um, and I don't know, it's like, my memory of it, it was like, it was freezing cold outside. I didn't know where I was going. I walked into a room, there's a bunch of strangers that I had no idea who they were. And then there was just like chairs everywhere. And at the front, there was like a line of people dressed up in like really business clothes, just like staring at us. And it was pretty intimidating. So (laughs) that's hilarious. I'm sorry. That's funny. Yeah, I think my, uh, not a thing, but my first experience uh, was after taking this uh, class we spoke about, 550-600. It was a, an amazing experience for me. A lot of growth that took place, and I wanted to learn more about it. And I heard that there's this conference that was going to take us deeper into that experience, or at least be complimentary to it. So I wanted to learn as much as I could about it. And um, much like what you were sharing, Lauren, I... Um, showed up they said dress comfortably i was like all right cool so i'm in like you know some sweats and sitting down in some room for what i was looking at on the agenda was some plenary session i'm like well you know i'm not completely into the academic world so what in the world does a plenary mean i mean i'm thinking of like a planetentiary that was kind of how i was interpreting it so how are we going to look at the stars inside of this real classy auditorium i mean so i'm all kinds of disoriented like what is this thing some people walk into the room and all of a sudden everyone gets quiet they sit down and this person that's sitting in the middle of this line of people that's sitting in the front of the room starts reading something and i'm kind of going in and out of like well what in the world is this is, is she reading and why does it seem so formal why is everyone so quiet what is happening? And that was the um, opening plenary. I mean, and then after I forgot to mention that after she read this, whatever she was reading, she just opened up the conversation and just says, so where would you like to begin in this conversation? And folks just started saying stuff. And I'm like, 
I don't know what compelled you to say that. I don't know <laughs> why. I don't know why you were saying that. I don't know for what reason. I thought I had missed like a reading and I was unprepared for an assignment. And like, and then we just started having this conversation. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world just happened? And then they said, okay, now you're going to go to another event. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I guess I'll just follow the the line and, and just go where everyone else is going. Okay, I'll just make sure I need to be where I need to be and then that'll be it. So that was my opening plenary session. And um, what I've come to understand about the opening plenary is that it's a way for people when they come into a conference to actually transition from the outside world and to come into the conference within, you know, to cross that boundary, I should say, into the conference. Um, and so, yeah, it took me a minute to figure out what exactly the purpose of the opening plenary was and what exactly it was in the first place. But, um, yeah, that, you know, that, that was my experience. I didn't mean to, to, to boast with laughter on some of those parts, but it's, it's crazy because, you know, when you said that Rod, I'm sitting here remembering my experience and it is that you're sitting there and you're wondering where are these people coming from with what they're saying and where are they getting it from is, was there something passed around that I missed out on or, and then you're trying to figure out how to jump on this train and finally arrive at this place that some people in the room are, are, have arrived at or have not arrived at. And, and, and I mean that figuratively, but you know what I mean? Like it was just interesting um, to have that open plenary experience. So it is that it's, it's really kind of, listening to what the what the theme of the conference is what we're about to get into we're not gonna wait any further to go do any other distracting technical stuff let's get right into it and so okay so now we've arrived at the opening plan plenary um what happens next from here where do we go next from that experience well, I want to say, too, um, before we move on from the opening plenary, uh, two just additional things to note. One, I think, is the opportunity, too, for the clear roles to be defined. Um, so we talked about crossing the boundary, and we know how important boundaries are in this work, but also how important roles are. So at a typical conference, the membership is on one side of the room facing the staff and the staff is on the other side of the room facing the membership. And that's really an opportunity to where the director introduces, you know, everyone that's on staff, what their roles are for the conference. Um, and really sets the stage for what it is that um, we're going to be working on, what our task is as a collective, our theme. Um, and again, like Rod said, to cross that boundary. A second thing is um, in virtual spaces. So this has been something that's been of conversation of recently because we don't have that same clear, like, this is the membership, this is the staff, because when you join a Zoom call or any other digital call, the group kind of just gets formulated by whatever algorithm that, you know, the squares formulate in, and it looks different on everyone's screen. Mm. Um, so I think that's been something as far as, you know, our work as group relations practitioners, studying authority um, as one of the things that we study, how, how, is that different? How is that shifted um, when there's not that clear delineation from the beginning of 
who is on staff and who's not visually, right? So it takes until the director gets halfway through their opening speech and then, you know, says, oh, by the way, here's my staff before you're like, oh, that person's a staff member. Oh, that person's a staff member. Um, so maybe it's something, you know, curious to think about, like, who did I think was on staff when I showed up if I didn't look at, you know, the brochure and I just came into the space, or maybe I did look at the brochure and I retained some people's faces and I didn't retain other people's. Um, and like having that sea of people, who am I looking to as the authority in the space before it's actually named? Like that's things to consider for folks in virtual spaces. So those two felt like two important things to mention before we moved on. Absolutely, Amber. Thank you for, for bringing that up. And I think what's interesting in what you said too, is like what happens once that person is now identified as the director? And then now you're like, you know, the, the thing to think about is now, oh, okay, now I'm thinking about my relationship to this director in terms of like being this person who's here that nobody knows and just how, you know, how I am with authority. I always kind of, you know, try to find authority and try to like show that respect and learn and, and do that thing. And so it becomes interesting once you learn that, that role, um, how that dynamic changes, that behavior changes in you. And that becomes the emerging theme to study throughout the conference. But I, I appreciate you bringing so I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. So I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I was just going to transition it since I know Mandy had asked like what comes next, but I don't know if you. Had yeah. Yeah, I was. I was actually going to do the same thing, Amber. So. <laughs> It must be. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess, again, uh, conference directors have the liberty to kind of choose what they want to do as far as the structure of conference goes. At least from my experience, I've seen it go to small group or go to large group, just depending on what conference you're a part of. So both groups, um, the task of that group is to study the unconscious as it unfolds in the here and now. Um, but a small group usually is somewhere from like six to 10 people. Um, whereas like a large group, you'll usually find, you know, it'll be the whole conference um, membership inside that space um, with anywhere from two to I've seen up to four large group consultants in this space, depending on how big that, that group is. So my most recent conference is probably the smallest conference I've ever been to. And that one was like 20 or 19 people in the membership. So that would be the large group. Um, and then I think maybe my biggest conferences have been the Leadership for Change conferences, and those are usually, you know, 100 to 125 to 145-ish people um, at the height, at the biggest of their size. I don't know if, like, others have, like, more additional things to add around, like, the small groups and the large group and size and function. <laughs> I think... Um... I think the only thing that I would add to that is there's not assigned seating in it for either of those, you know, like you get told at the beginning, either typically, I think like at the beginning of the conference for virtual stuff, I've seen info go out a little bit beforehand saying like what groups you're going to be in for your small group or your large group. Um, and then they usually give you a little map telling you how to get to your room that you're going to be in. But then when you go in there, there's literally just chairs in some configuration, one chair for each person who's supposed to be in there and you sit down wherever you want to sit. And then down the line, people probably have a lot of thoughts about who you sat next to, who you didn't, what, what's it mean? And, you know, create a lot of 
meaning out of that. But um, I think that's an important part too. You have a lot of agency to decide where you're going to show up once you enter that room. Right. And I think you you said something important, Lauren, that I think we should like, you know, parse out some as far as like people are going to make assumptions or I make their own opinions about who you chose to sit next to and why. And I think it's not just because like, oh, people are catty and they just want to know who you sit next to and why, but because everything that we do, like group relations gives us the opportunity to be present with every decision that we make and to be curious about why we're making those decisions and how some of the decisions that we make are actually patterns that we keep recreating in our lives because of some experience that we've had in the past. So like, I know for me, whenever I go to a group relations conference for a small group specifically, I'm always looking for the next black person. If there's no black person, I'm looking for people of color, usually women of color first, then men of color. <laughs> and then like there's a tier system or like if I can find like a queer person that's also a person of color, because like for me, like the white queers aren't necessarily the where I find my community. Um, so like there's all these like systems that I look that I parse out and like look for that safety, even and that's for me, at least a conscious thing, but it's become even more conscious from doing this work. I think before I would do it without necessarily thinking all the way through it. But for me, that's always been the people that I felt like have provided me the most consistent safety. Of course, there's not a foolproof answer in any of that. But when you enter into a space where your anxiety is already high, they're telling you like, don't come here if this is a stressful point in your life and you just want to brace yourself. Like, it's always nice to know you have someone that is in your corner. And I think group relations offers us opportunity through dialoguing with one another and sometimes arguing and debating and whatever to find other links and connections across divides that aren't so obvious and aren't so visible. Um, And so just being open to that. But I think for sure, when you first enter into a group, all we do have is our eyes and our ears. And so it's like, what do I first see? What am I hearing instantly? And I have to make quick decisions before we begin this next hour together being locked into a room. And so sometimes for some people, it might not be an identity. It might be who's the person that feels like the authority in the space. Mm. I come to a conference and it's about black lives, then the black people must be an authority in this conference system. So like, let me, you know, cozy up to the black people. Or like, if I go to a conference that's about, you know, politics, and I know there's like one person on the staff that is like super into politics in the nation, I might cozy up to that person. Um, Or like, what is the currency of the groups? Like, is this like a a conference around like sexuality and sensuality, then I might go to the people that have the pretty privilege and try to akin myself to them or align myself with them. Um, Or also just like your typical quote unquote teachers pet type people of just like, whoever is the formal authority, I'm going to try to kiss their ass. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Kiss their butts. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so there's all those things. But I think like Lauren, you were saying, you know, I didn't want to just brush over it. Like there's so much depth in decisions that we make while we make them um, and the comfort level that we want to have that can be in our control because there's so much other discomfort or anxiety that is within the group's control that, you know, you want that little bit of safety or that little bit of like, oh, I have this person or these people or this community or this thing to make me feel comfortable uh, in this space. Yeah. And I think not to go too far off track, thanks for like throwing that in. I think that also ties to this idea of projections that we were talking about last Mm -hmm. time um, in the sense of we might also build awareness 
through a conference experience that we sat next to X person because they reminded us of our teacher from third grade who advocated for us when no one else did Mm -hmm. or, you know, our brother or, you know, anyone in our lives. Or also maybe you sat next to someone because you thought that they were queer. You sat next to someone because um, you thought that they identified as white, but then you found out that they were a person of color. And like, there's a lot of data there um, that you can work with. And so, yeah. So I think for, for me with what I hear us talking about right now, are a lot of the dynamics that we, that come out of that opening plenary session right from the beginning. And then what are you taking into and how are you dealing with when you enter into a small group or a large group discussion? Um, and so just for, I guess, discussion's sake, you know, I'll just start with the small group experience that when I walked into the room from a, for the first time I was there, you know, walked into a small group, uh, there are these chairs that are sitting around in a circle and you mentioned, Lauren, that there was some kind of agency around choosing where you wanted to sit because there's no assigned seating. So you sit down or I sat down and I'm looking around at other people I do or don't know. At that time, I didn't know anybody. So I'm like, hey, 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 hey. And then someone walks into the room and then shuts the door. Boom. And sits down and didn't say anything for the first time because I was half paying attention in the opening plenary. I don't know who is who on the staff. I just know that there are people in the conference and something happens. People again, just start talking and you do that for, or we did that for what about an hour. And, um, and then the conversation ends, the person who walked in and the door shut behind, they just stand up. And they walk out the door unannounced. And I thought, wow, that is the weirdest thing that could possibly happen ever. And that was it. And usually most of the time that that was happening, um, at least the first time that it happened to me, I was right in the middle of saying something. And the session ended. I thought, oh, man, that's nuts. And then uh, we walked into the large group. So I'm walking in, walking in with everything that just happened in this small group session. And I go into this large group session and I'm looking and it looks like a big giant spiral, circle, you know, concentric circles when I first looked at it. I'm going to try to find a seat and I make my way because I'm kind of like the person who likes to be in the middle of things. So I, I find myself into the center of this big circle structure and people start sitting and we're in there for an hour. And in the course of that conversation, again, people are saying the, just saying stuff. And again, just like in the opening plenary, I thought, oh my goodness, what did I miss? Like, I feel like there is something that I missed. Like some people got a reading that I didn't read, or some people are in this other state of mind that I am just not in yet. And I don't know what they're looking at, but oh my goodness, they're talking about stuff that I've never seen before never thought of and would not have configured it in such a way, you know, to, to, to even speak to it. But for some reason, I just start speaking. I'm like, hey, here's what I think. Here's what I think. So what's this? What's that? Trying to make sense of what's going on. And again, right in the middle of me saying something in my first experience in a large group session, these folks 
stand up, walk out the room, and that is the end of it. And I'm like, what just happened? What, what, what in the blue blazes just happened? And uh, yeah, it was quite the experience. I think one of the distinctions to, to bring up in terms of the structure piece of it and the experience with that structure is that people think that in the small group ses sessions that they are more intimate and they feel like they can talk more. And then in the large group sessions, because of all the different dynamics that are playing out in those sessions, some people feel like they can't talk as much, but they do notice that there is a shift between how they show up in their small groups and how they show up in their large groups. Yeah, and I think, Rod, you made a, a good point again that I don't want to just brush over, um, that in the large group specifically, um, usually there is some sort of spirally, circularly shape. I think the one group uh, or the one conference that I've been to where that wasn't the case was um, the Dover conference in January of 2020. Um, it was an intersectionality theme, and they did a bunch of different intersecting types of shapes in the large group intentionally to see how does the group respond differently. And I think the last large group, we had a, a standard spiral, but all the other times there were unique shapes. But that typically in a spiral, the energy goes towards the center. Um, so like for me, like Rob's like, I'm someone that finds myself in the eye of the storm. I'm going to throw myself in. That's also like because he knows energetically, even in his first experience, that like this seems like a spot that's going to be a hot spot, an energy build spot. <laughs> I want to feel like he wants to feel it. And so he threw himself in there and that's where he wants to be. For me, I'm, I also gathered like the energy seems to be in the center. I'm more of a like, I have a lot of energy and I can <laughs> the outside and like see as much as possible and then gauge better, like when I want to dive in, when I want to pull back out um, and have that option. So like for me in most larger spaces, unless it's like a conference where I feel super activated, then maybe like I'll take one time to sit close to the center. But generally speaking, I like to try to sit either on the outside or like in the semi space of not quite in the middle or not quite on uh, the outside either to kind of opt when I want to be in the eye of the storm or not in the eye of the storm. So like, that's something that like, is if you go to conference, you're going to notice that the further you sit to the middle, the more, more eyes are on you, more attention is on you. The energy sphere of the spiral, you know, gets tighter and tighter as you get to the center. Um, and I think Lauren mentioned in one of our past episodes, like the closer that seats are together, the more that that, you know, can have an impact on how people are experiencing their relatedness and connections to other people um, as well. So I think that that's just something to like highlight and bring some texture um, for the listeners. <clears throat> I was just going to say, okay, but just everyone. to like break it down to 101 basics, like basically as a summary, you know, you have your opening plenary then there's usually like a 10 or 15 minute break. You might go to a large group, small group. I'm sure at some conference, there might be a different thing that happens, but this is the most typical. You walk into a room, there's chairs in some configuration. You sit where you want. People are usually small talking. The authority or the consultant for your group walks in, sits down, is either silent or says, where would you like to begin? Um, and then the thing happens where everyone's talking and the thing you have to experience yourself to understand, really. But um, again, it's to study the group's behavior as it unfolds in the here and now is usually the primary task for small and large group. And then at the end of whatever time frame has been set by the director, 
the consultant or authority of the room stands up, leaves the room, you have another break, and then you go to your next thing. So, Manny, I have something that I've been thinking about, and I don't know if we've explained this before, but maybe it could be helpful, and I think you could probably do a, a good job, exam, job of explaining this. When we say, what does it mean to study the um, unconscious as it unfolds in the here and now? Because, like, the here and now is there and then, as I'm saying here and now, right? So, like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Why is that so hard for people to work on, and why do we do conferences that have us focus on that? for multiple groups throughout the conference? Yes, good question. And this is all for, especially for the listeners that are new to group relations work and conferences. Um, When I first heard that question, when I was in my first large group um, hearing that question, I was really confused while also I'm like, oh, I'm a reflective person. I always think about, you know, myself outside of myself. Um, But that's, it is part of that, but then there's also this collective piece to it as well. Um, and it's, I think when you go in there and it's your first time, um, it gets really challenging. And I think my my theory or my, my assumption is that the people who are new to the conference will speak first, usually. Um, whereas the folks that are familiar with the task, they kind of observe things and, and play around with everyone else. But um, I think what what it means is really it is to kind of, you know, see what the behaviors are, what are the dynamics that are happening within the group, you know, in, in, in the here and now. So what the here and now means is in this time that has been set for us to sit in this room next to each other, however the seats are uh, organized, um, what is happening? What am I feeling in my body? What is my body telling me? What is my body telling my mind? What is my mind telling my body? Um, what am I hearing from other people? What are the themes around it? And and you're, you're just trying to bring all these things up. You're trying to find these things to bring them up um, in a way that, you know, because they're conscious, you're seeing them. It helps you in some other way unpack more unconscious things once you get through the, um, the fog of, of everything that's put out there. And so the fog comes from like all the members in the room because everyone's at the same place of trying to figure out like, okay, what's going on? What am I reacting to? What am I not reacting to? There's the door. I think I need to use the bathroom. I think I need to get out of here. Or like, where's my phone? It's only been five minutes. We've been sitting here and it feels like it's been an hour already. It's all these things that are happening in that moment. And you're doing everything to try to be in that moment while you're also trying to, you know, it's, you know, the interesting thing that happens is, there's always so much chatter that happens before we begin small group or large group. So let's say we come back from break, we're in the room, there's a gong that gets, that gets hit. Before that gong gets hit, um, everyone's chatting. Could be about what was going on the weekend, could be about whatever. And then once the gong hits, you know, the task gets said, and then everyone's just kind of like quiet. And it's like all that chatter that just happened the things that was going on in the hallway, everything that was going on, like wherever we were outside of this room, it like we were talking and all of a sudden now it's just like you could hear a feather drop and you're just like, okay. Um, And it goes to, you know, it's like being at a work meeting sometimes and, you know, you're just kind of like with all leadership management and there's like, I don't know, in my experience, 23 people that's on this call, 
and everyone's afraid to say something because of their, they'll be judged for it, or maybe it's not the way leadership thinks, or you know whatever you're saying is not what wants to be heard or what needs to be heard for the group. And so, you know, all these things come into play, so it takes you away from from the engagement because you're so afraid of what could be said and how people will judge you. Um, and so you're learning how to trust this space to be able to be in the here and now and to actually speak to the things that come up. Um, that's, well, think, yeah. One thing too many to add to what you're saying, I think there's also like, we have as a society uh, such a comfort level of having surface conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Easy to have, like we know how to do the pleasantry, nicety thing. Like that's like almost forced upon us. Like you say the things that make people feel good externally, and then you walk away with your actual feelings in your mind and in your head. And maybe your spouse gets them at the end of the day of how you truly felt, right? But like group relation spaces offer the opportunity to not have those pleasantry conversations <laughs> and to not keep everything that you're actually thinking in your head, but to actually give it out to the group so that the group can help you work through it or you can help the group work through it um, or work with each other to figure out like, what does this thought actually mean? Or what is this pattern of behavior actually saying? Or like, even if you don't actually act on the thing that you're thinking, you could be curious about like, oh, when such and such said that, like, it made me feel X way. It made me want to be defensive. And like, now I'm curious about that. Can some other people from the group help me like work through that together? And like, there's probably other people in the group that had a similar internal feeling and now you're able to build bridges across. So I think there is that like silence um, because like you're now again, Rod mentioned like crossing the boundary happens like to transition from the outside world to the inside world. But then we know that also there's a boundary of like, politeness and nicety conversations versus like the real work um that's like those hard nasty ugly anxiety provoking whether that's on a positive anxiety or like frightening anxiety but there's some type of disequilibrium that happens when you're really getting into those conversations that we often don't have with each other and i think that that's what the other silence is of like okay shit like now it's time to cross over and like do that hard thing again. Like I, cause like, again, we say you want to take the pressure off the pressure cooker when you're in a copper space. So we're not going to get anywhere for always high anxiety. And so those breaks, those lunch conversations, those bathroom chats, like they're meant to relieve some of the steam up the pressure cooker, but then we need to turn the, the steam back up and, and get in there and boil for <laughs> another 30 to an hour and 15 minutes. <clears throat> You know, while you said crossing, uh, crossing boundaries, we are beyond the boundaries, right? Like the podcast itself. So I'm going to say this. My biggest pet peeve in small and large group has become anyone that starts to speak and say and or ask someone else about their experience or speak about other people's experiences instead of speaking to their own experience about the very thing that they're curious about. That's my biggest pet peeve. Do not do that. If you're new to the experience, please don't do that. <laughs> I, it's my biggest pet peeve. You know, so that's that. Don't do it if you go to a conference at Manny. You don't want him to gouge your eyeballs. <laughs> but if you're way uh, trying to enter into the space and make meeting, then have at it. But like, I think there's an episode where like Lauren, I think, had did that. And we were like, oh, I think you're work avoiding. Because I guess, again, it's just like, be curious about why you're curious about someone else's experience without tying in your own, 
Because of course, as humans, like we want to relate to each other. So yes, I need to, or feel the need to want to know more about Lauren, Manny and Rod in this space. But if I'm only interviewing them and I'm not giving anything of myself or I'm not meeting them halfway or more than halfway consistently, then that's something to be like, hmm, like why can't I share myself? Or like, where am I located in all this? And like, what am I actually getting from just gathering other people's stories and narratives and Mm -hmm. that contributing to what it is that we're doing from an unconscious or subconscious level? Like those are the things to be curious about. And that's why in groups, it takes people like Manny to be like, hey, I noticed the last three times we spoke, you've asked something of somebody else or shared someone else's story let's dig into it. And so we use each other to be that mirror for ourselves because sometimes we can't put the mirror to our own face. Yeah. Don't come in there being the Trevor Noah (laughs) of the space, doing interviews on people, trying to like do that thing. Don't do that. (laughs) Manny, I think what you're trying to articulate is that go in and Amber, you spoke to this already, but go in and have your own experience of things and understand that a lot of what you're doing, be paying attention to some of the things you haven't ever thought about before. Be curious about what you what shows up in your mind and what thoughts you're tending to have and offer that as part of the discussion, a larger discussion on what is going on on an unconscious level within the groups. And I think, you know, it's a nice transition into, you know, some of the other aspects of the of the conference and the structures and pieces especially the one around the social dreaming matrix and i think that that for me has always been a a fascinating structure uh within uh, a conference setting um and i remember walking into my first one uh walking into this large group room uh and the chairs were not in any sort of configuration at all. They were just scattered throughout the entire room, facing different directions. And you Rob, were. When does at, the social genie matrix typically happen throughout a conference? When does it happen? Yeah. Yeah. So, as I have seen it, if it's in the three day conference, it's usually happening somewhere on the second day, right in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the first sessions you walk into. And um, that's the real good question, Amber. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after the first day in a session, you're going to walk out or in a, at a conference, you'll walk out of it going, what in the blue blazes just happened to my life? And if you're in a residential setting, you take that conversation and you can go well into the wee hours of the night and the early morning talking about everything that just happened. And if you're in a non-residential uh, you can be up looking for that glass of wine to just kind of to my life. <laughs> and why do I feel this way, right? Mm-hmm. And and you can have, you know, some dreams, like some experiences that you're, some people find that they're restless. Some people find that they sleep the best sleep, you know, that they've had in a long time. Uh, some people go into these really deep dreams. Some people have dreams and they don't remember them. And the social dreaming matrix is the place where all of that, it gives you an opportunity to give voice to those different experiences. And again, you know, the, the intention is to study and to observe, you know, the unconscious processes and dynamics that are going on within the group. And as the theory goes, dreams are a part of that. And so, in this room, uh, coming back to walking into this room, 
these chairs are scattered throughout the entire room facing different directions in apparently no order and when you think about the reason for the social german matrix and what people are coming into uh, into that second day with it makes perfect sense i mean <laughs> it's it's completely a disorderly process you know you're I mean? like what just happened and so you sit down uh, some people again that energy sensing place you know why am i sitting in a per in a particular seat or not i know for myself i look for okay where can i experience the most and and that's where what guides me to where i sit uh, for some people, it's like, I don't even want to be a part of anything. Let me find the most place where I can be the most isolated from everything and just be with myself. And again, someone walks into the room, the door shuts, some music starts playing, possibly. I've seen it a couple different ways with that. Sometimes music is playing, sometimes it's not. Somebody starts reading some script. You might hear it from one voice. You might hear it from a couple of voices. I've seen it different ways. And then all of a sudden, people just start talking again. But they're talking about their dreams. They're talking about associations or what different dreams have made them think about. Um, and they just, it's a full-blown conversation for about another hour. You're just there. And uh, some people find it incredibly relaxing. Some people find it, you know, nerve wracking. Some people are still asking themselves the question, what in the world just happened? And that is another way for people to transition again into the boundary of the conference after their first day experiences and, um, and to get ready for the day. And then after that, you might go into a small group again or, two, or into a large group. Right. And you have typically a social dreaming matrix or some sort of social sensing matrix, I think, for the rest of the mornings of the conference, typically, if that's a part of the conference structure. So it's not just the second day morning, but you'll probably, if it's a three-day conference, you'll have that on the second and third day morning. Or like I just did a virtual conference that was a five-day um, and we did dreams one day, but then did two other social sensing activities on two other days. So there was three total um, of those experiences in that um, five-day conference. So that's another thing. Um, and for me, I just wanted to add in that I'm one of those people that definitely find it relaxing. I've definitely caught a couple extra Zs um, because <laughs> the conference space, like especially at residentials, like you start at the booty crack of dawn, like 8 a.m. or 8.30 um, and you usually finish later in the evening because the goal is that they give you a break in the middle of the day so that you're pretty much immersed in the conference all day. So then you're done at like nine or 10. And then like Rod said, you go home and you, you know, have all those conversations with people and process and, you know, whatever bond connect. And so you're running on like six hours of sleep or so. So I definitely take the extra half hour <laughs> sometimes to just meditate and go back to sleep shamelessly <laughs> and other times to just listen in. So what people have to share, um, cause typically I'm not someone to recall my dreams, but mm -hmm. I do appreciate, um, like Rod said, just that opportunity to, for whatever you need to do to transition into the space, to transition into the space and knowing that like in my silence or in my napping that I'm, you know, adding to the collective field uh, in some type of way and contributing in some type of way by um, just being present in the space and being able to explore how the different ways that we're connected beyond just um, um, the things that we talk about or dispute about in our large and small group spaces. 
Um, and I think something else that's beautiful about the social sensing or genie matrices is that it adds just a different texture to the conference. It's a very different way of interacting with one another. Um, at my most recent conference, it was just so night and day different as far as interaction interactions that like we began to be curious as a conference system, like how can we bring that way of connecting into our small and our large group spaces uh, because it just seemed to be so difficult to connect with people in those other spaces, but so easy and free flowing in our um, social sensing matrixy uh, events throughout those mornings. I think, so. Oh, come in. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Lauren. Sorry, I keep cutting you no, off. Girl, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> go. No, I was just going to add two things quickly. Um, one about like the technical piece of that, because at the beginning, Amber was talking about these disclaimers of like, if you're pregnant or this or that, maybe not attend. And although group relations conferences are not a therapeutic space, they are definitely based in some therapeutic modalities, at least in part, about being if you're on the mental health side of things, Freudian theory, psychodynamic theory, and also psychoanalysis. So in this particular event, in all of them, but in this particular one, the reason that dreams are analyzed or looked at is because, of course, in like Freudian theory, that is a part of the unconscious that can release information that we wouldn't maybe otherwise be looking at and can create, as Amber was talking about, these connections to each other and access to building bridges in a way that maybe otherwise wouldn't have existed. And also for listeners who are like, damn, and Amber, like, how could you sit there and fall asleep? I think one important thing to note is that... Um, there are extreme structures in group relations conferences, and yet part of the learning is how you take up your authority within those bounds to um, play out those uh, tasks that are put before us. And if you feel that way, I would ask you to like ask yourself, what does that mean to you with regard to how you might show up in a space like that with regard to your um feelings towards authority and how you might think that was a no-no or maybe you're like yeah dope I want to do that too and then what does that mean and um they usually say group relations conferences like yes there's extreme structure but the structure is put in place to create safety for people to exercise their own authority um in a way that as long as it's not breaking the laws of the institution state or country that you're participating in it's free game and it's for learning so I just wanted to name that Yeah, and I guess, Lauren, why is that important? So you don't go to jail. That part that you just named. No, 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 no. I mean, like. <laughs> your freedom to exercise your authority. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but that's. Yeah. <laughs> Not jail. <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? Like, I think there, yeah. there's. It, because I th for me, the reason why I asked that is because I think I do recognize that there's some people that go in there and like they might not sit on one of the chairs that's set up for them to sit on. They sit on a table. Um, you know, they might stand, you know, but there's something about the ability to do whatever you want in a certain way and how the rules of that is structured. And so it makes me curious, you know, and so in that, I think it speaks more to how one takes up their own authority to also show that they can push back on authority in terms of what the expectations are of the members and how they behave and do these little things. And these little things, sometimes some people say, well, I can't sit on the chair because my back hurts. So I need to, you know, sit on the table for some other reason. And so I think in that way, too, it keeps it open for, um, 
you know, anyone that has disabilities or any type of need to be able to do that. While for others, I do think it's like, I want to push back on authority a little bit and not, you know, follow suit because you can come into this experience and you might consider this like, this is, this is all weird, you know, um, not necessarily. Well, I, can, I can share my, at least my, my thought process instead of like, you know, using other people's possibilities. So like for me, like there's in the social sensing matrix, I guess I do feel some sort of like, authority to be like this is a quiet time like people are going to share their dreams like if i'm feeling sleepy and our eyes are closed anyway then like i'm just going to allow myself to drift into that sleep and maybe in that sleep a dream will come or maybe i'm mm-hmm. the information in a different way it feels like it's still in service of the learning for me um but like in a large group or in a small group or in um rag which we'll get to in a minute um like those spaces i feel like i can't serve the purpose of the task. I can't contribute to the collective learning in an unconscious or in and out of consciousness state. Um, So for me, that would be a reason why I would be like, you know, I don't want to take up my authority in that way because it doesn't feel like it's in the purpose or serving the collective uh, learning in any type of way. So like, that's like my own like reasons why I go through that. And then of course, knowing that the group is going to interpret those things, whatever way that they want to interpret you know, that has its own other separate implications. But as far as my own exercising of authority and why I choose to do it in some spaces and not other spaces, like that would be my thought process of going through with it. And others, like you said, might have different thought processes, whether that's their abilities or whether that's they're just contrarians by nature. So no matter what group they're in, they're going to do something that seems against the grain um, Mm -hmm. versus other people who like if they're about to bust out the seams, you know, because their bladder is full, because they want to maintain respect to authority, they will sit there and like, darn near like, you know, pee on themselves. Like, that's a whole different extreme. And like, why do those people not feel like they can take up their authority and go to the bathroom? Or why mm-hmm. do other people feel like they need to always exercise their own authority? And like, those are the types of things that you can start to question and work through as a group. You know, Manny, I think for me, the answer to your question, and I think it's a good segue, I guess, into like the institutional event, right, in, in my mind. And that's one of the events that in, in the, one of the structures in the group relations conference that I always look forward to. Because, you know, to your point, Amber, I mean, that's for me is where people's authority really kicks in and how they take it up and what do they do with it. And you really get a sense of how the group, you know, within structures, right, um, you know, bounded by the, the institution, like your university or what have you, um, that, that the conference is held in, bounded by some of the rules within, you know, the, the conference itself, where the membership or the members of participants in the group relations conference really get to create their own institution, you know, in a sense, that has its different, um, you know, parts of the organization and different ways that they interact with the different parts of the organization and the different ways that they interact with the um, uh, with the authority uh, within the conference. And there's also a consultation group, you know, that they can go to and get consultations around, you know, what they're learning and what they're are observing, you know, within this massive institutional event. Um, so I'll stop there to not take up too much airtime and, and let everyone kind of share their thoughts on institutional event but it it seems like that's the place where people really get to show out you know their their authority and get to test hypotheses about what the group is actually dealing with so 
so how does that happen, right? Because I think in the plan, in the plan area, the opening plan area, I think that gets talked about a little bit, but there is a transitional f- phase of going into the institutional event um, where you're, you're, you're told, okay, so you basically have to um, identify your own um, groups from the members in the room. So who do you want to work with on said topic and that topic could be related to consulting on whatever the group feels compelled to come up and work on with so really it's like okay how am i drawn to this person to work with them on this unconscious thing i don't even know we're going to work on yet so i'm curious if we can talk about that experience of going into that transition of the institutional i could speak to that i was sitting here thinking i was like dang this is like the hardest one for me to describe there's a lot of, I mean, structurally, it is what it is, but it's um, also personally one of my least favorite events, probably because I'm someone who likes a lot of structure, and this allows a little bit too much freedom for me to do as I please within, you know, the boundaries set by the director and the consultants of the conference. But basically, you know, to answer your question, Manny, you're leaving some event, maybe you're on break, maybe you're leaving like a large group or something like that. Um, I think it's actually, they do a plenary of some sort to kind of introduce the event. And then they basically say, okay, everyone's going to pick your own groups. There'll be one or two consultants staying in the main room um, to help you if you need help. And the rest of us are going to go off. And from there, you can form whatever groups with whatever humans you energetically or otherwise feel called towards to form a group with and they typically say like a group is at least three people so you can't just hang out with your best friend in the corner and say I'm in a group or Amber's you know recently said sometimes that does happen and people say that they're a group with holding space for certain others or I don't know there's like all these different ways that you can say that you're in a group but it's supposed to be three or more people typically um And basically the consultants are there in the room if you have a hard time figuring out who you're going to join with or if you can't find anyone that you want to join with and you need some help sort of sussing out where you maybe should go. Then there's typically assigned rooms that you can go into that are designated um, rooms. And from there, you meet with your group. There might be a certain theme of the conference or theme of your group. Sometimes they ask you to come up with a name for your group or the purpose of your group. or something like that, based off of what the, you know, again, director, the staff has asked of you. And then from there, there's usually a few um, times that you meet with them throughout the conference, maybe two, three times. And you're really working towards, as Rod said, building an institution within the confines that are presented. Um, And that can look wildly different, depending on what your goal of your group is, and the other members in your group. There's also an opportunity to go and check out what other groups are doing um, and send like messengers per se to go, you know, either observe or um, take notes or ask questions of other groups, all with the intention of trying to understand from a different perspective, again, what's going on at the system at large when more agency or authority is given to the members and there's less structure beyond what's already set. Um, put forth by the actual staff or authority in the room, the formal authority. Um, did I miss anything? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This. Uh, go ahead, Amber. 
I was going to say to this, it's an opportunity to interact with the staff in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's uh, usually three different types of levels of authorization. So a group can so, um, select you or authorize you to observe the staff room. And so that's where the directorate and consultants are working together to also, again, figure out the same thing that you're trying to figure out, like what does their individual group mean for the system? And then what is happening at the system as a whole? Um, then there is an opportunity to be a delegate typically, which is where you get to have, you know, ask a question or, or is that called a plenipotentiary? Um, I think it is, <laughs> but I can't say that word. The plenipotentiary, yeah, I think is the one that you ask a question. And so you go in with one thing in mind, you get that answer, you bring it back to your group and help further the learning. And then a delegate or fully authorized person is someone that can interact with the staff, you know, as much and as little as they feel fit on behalf of the group that they're coming um, from. And also typically in those events, the staff will create a hypothesis as well as what's happening on the larger system and try to get that hypothesis out to the membership. That doesn't always happen, um, but that is typically uh, another thing that you can potentially see inside of a um, intersecting or institutional event type of system. Thanks, Amber. It's, it's, um, for me, institutional event is fun. It's like the funnest experience because once you get through sorting out, you know, the mess of creating order from the chaos and identifying what your group's going to work on and the mission of your group and, you know, all these things, you know, the interesting thing that happens is in the moment of the institutional event where you have some people who still have not may have found a group yet. So there are people who actually, Sometimes they don't find a group and they might choose to not find a group. And so they'll just bounce around to different groups, seeing what they're doing, seeing if they can join that group. Some groups are still open to new people joining. Some people are like, no, I think you're a spy and I don't want you to be with us, like (laughs) for whatever reason. And so now this person has this other experience and that experience becomes part of like, well, how does this connect to the theme of how the larger system is operating? You know, similar to what Amber said. And so there's a lot that happens in this in this experience. For me, my biggest takeaway about the experience is looking at it as um, this was a model to play with in creating something of your own, something that you can authorize yourself around, seeing how you can mobilize other people to join your cause and create this thing. So you did this thing that you created at this event. And in my mind, the, the, the um, fantasy is that once this is over, this experience lends itself to how you can self-authorize out in the real world in terms of something you're passionate about or something that you want to you know, put together um, an agency of others. That's been my experience with the institutional event. Yeah, and I feel like, too, just to always bring it back home to, like, what is this subsystem or sector of this larger organization meaning for the bigger system? Um, so, like, if you're at a, a conference around intersectionality, but you create a group that's specific about one type of race, okay, well, what are you holding for the rest of the system or on behalf of the other system that you can learn um, from what you all are doing um, inside your group as well? And so, at the end of the institution event, there's typically somewhere between three, four, or maybe even five sessions, depending on what conference you're at. Um, there is a similar closing plenary um, as we would do to like close the conference in general, but to basically close out that particular event. And so it's like, what is the learning that we've created? What have we gotten from the different sectors that you know emerged? What have we learned about the way that we interacted with each other or didn't interact with each other? Um, and what ultimately, what does that say about the director 
um, and how are those pieces of the director showing up in the different groups that we created um, um, within the institutional event um, context. So I think that's like a really important and pivotal moment in the conference system to kind of have that opportunity to not only just experience it and to be doing things, but to then have the opportunity to be reflective um, in the space with everyone that's in the conference system as a whole. I think one thing that I just want to throw in there just for learning's sake and then kind of transition into what you're speaking to about, you know, reviewing application items is that, you know, depending on the conference and the length of the conference you go to, whether it's a three day or the seven day, that institutional event can, the amount of learning you can gain from that institutional event. I mean, there are definitely differences in how much you learn. The three day conferences, you know, I've seen it done in just one afternoon. I've seen it done accomplished in two afternoons. In a seven-day conference, I mean, you've got almost three days dedicated to that. So there's a lot that can be learned, and there's a lot of depth that you can go into mm -hmm. um, in order to make sense of. And I think, you know, for me, when you get to, I guess, one of the other main structures in the conference, talking about the review and application uh, group, um, that's where you, on a more personal level, uh, get to wrestle with or think about, you know, the learning for that particular day as you transition out of the conference for that day, uh, for that day's learning. And um, for me, that's where the, the bigger connections come into play from, okay, so what was I dealing with or thinking about or addressing in the conference? And how is that showing up in my day-to-day -day life and, and activities? And, and how can I apply it? um you know in into my day-to-day -day life right in the beginning of the rag sessions so typically a rolling review or review an application group is going to happen at the end of every day um in the beginning sessions so if it's a five-day conference the first two days might be focused specifically on your role in the current conference system and so that's an opportunity for you to think about like how am i showing up is this how i want to show up what purpose is it serving do i want to try on a different hat um, and really have that space to be reflective in there and then spaces with people that typically aren't inside other smaller group spaces with you either. Um, and they're in a really small group, usually like no more than five or six people um, to really give the opportunity and the attention to work through that. And then like Rod said, the second half of that is then focused on, okay, how are some of these themes that are showing up in this conference also showing up outside of this conference in my you know, work life or my personal life? Or how are, they, how are themes that are here not showing up outside and how can I bring some of that learning with me into the outside world that I could try on these different hats or these different roles and, and show up as a different person? And that's only the beginning of that distillation. Like, conference work, there's things that simmer on your brain for three, four or five years after the fact um, that kind of like plant seeds that continue to water and be nurtured. But this is just an opportunity to get the wheels spinning with that and to kind of unload you a little bit so that when you leave the temporary system, you don't go home to your family and your work wife and are so filled up with everything that happened and had no place to offload it and no one to understand your experience. So it's really important that for our memberships, if you're going to do a conference to so really take the review and application group seriously, because that's the place where people are going to actually understand what you're talking about as you offload and to help you put piece together the things that you experience to start to make sense and make meaning of them moving forward. So I think the last thing um, or last two things. So a closing plenary is, you know, the, the closing last session of the overall conference. So there's a 
IE closing plenary, but then there's a conference closing plenary, and that's usually um, the last event. And that's where basically we get to all come back together in a similar format as the first opening plenary um, the first day and just be like, you know, what the heck did we get out of this? Like, did we explore the theme that we set out to explore? Like, what are people kind of walking away with? What are people still chewing over? Like, we, what thing doesn't make sense to them? The The staff has a different stance. Um, similar to also in the review and application, the staff is a lot more personable than in some of the other um, group settings. Um, and that's just, yeah, a last opportunity again to kind of make peace with things. We always say that in group relations, you can never really put a bow on it. Um, like there's going to be things that are super frayed and like there might have been an explosion at some point that never got you know, repaired and put back together, but all of those things are things to learn from. <laughs> and so just continue into that time boundary to try and make meaning, try to make sense, try to learn from one another, um, to see different sides of both the membership and the staff that maybe we had seen throughout the whole time and uh, kind of bring it to a point where you can at least walk away saying, okay, I, I gave it my all, I tried my best. And like, I've taken away something and there's a lot more that is up in the ether for me to kind of learn uh, as time goes on and as more gets revealed to me, um, either in other conference spaces or in my personal life. Yeah. And then I did want to tap on just before we, I know we're getting close to our time boundary, is that there's some other miscellaneous events that you might find at different conference spaces. So I know for me, one that I've seen at both like the AK Rice um, National Conference, as well as in some of the University of San Diego conferences um, are creative events. And so they might consist of like a drum circle or of some type of like, we're going to creative draw together or like we're going to, you know, sing together. And it's another way of just trying to connect with each other through a different medium, basically, than just talking or than dreams. Um, and so I think that those are usually some of the most uncomfortable uh groups that I've been a part of, um, those creative sessions, because they are just like so different and feel a little bit exposing because there is some type of a learning curve. But I know specifically, I think it was for, I think it was, I, I think it was for On the Matter Black Lives, or if it wasn't, it was for the Leadership for Change conference right before, but that I remember specifically going to a group of Black people that was like a drum circle two times in a row and like really having, and it was different people that joined me at both times, but I went to it both times. And it's like that connection through drums, specifically with the first session where it was a lot of black people in my group felt so ritualistic and felt almost like that connection to like being in the villages back home that like are only inside my DNA and not in my mind consciously because I haven't had that opportunity to actually have those experiences. But that was something that I feel like I'll, an experience I'll never forget that I feel like still was uh, had a lot of magnitude for me um, and helped me connect to the people I was in the conference system with in a different way than I probably ever would have before. Um, and another unique uh, thing that might happen at a conference, specifically at residentials, is uh, the surprise staff social. So um, there's, at least in the Dover conference, is a tradition uh, to on the last night of the conference before the last day that in the member lounge, the staff will come and join for a half hour or 45 minutes and kind of, again, break that wall between authority and the membership to be able to have people feel connected and um, feel like they can, you know, have that uh, breaking down of whatever is going on and, you know, have that um 
those conversations that maybe they weren't otherwise able to have when the consultant was in consultant stance. So it's an opportunity to meet the staff outside of their roles um, and to kind of build those bridges and to, again, not put a bow on it, but just to have another texture and layer to your experience with each other. You mean they become human again? Basically. (laughs) Well, they're always human. They're just humans with the role that they're very adamant about keeping on. And, you know, for new people, it's hard to understand why they're so rigid in that. But the more that you do this work, the more you understand, again, that really just comes back to safety and containment. Um, And in order for us to be able to have these difficult conversations and to dive into these patterns of behaviors that have been since we were two, we need to have some sort of containment, some sort of environment that that can happen in. And so it's important for, you know, the staff to maintain their boundaries. But when they're allowed to step outside those boundaries or they, you know, create an intentional opportunity to connect with us, um, you know, outside of that consultant stance, like, you know, take advantage of it and, and really, you know, allow yourself to, to see them in a different light. Like, again, like actors, you know, some actors are so good that, you hate them forever because they were like the best villain and you can never see them and not be disgusted. But maybe you have to understand that they were being an actor and playing a role for a specific, for a specific thing. And so similarly, like our consultant staff and our admin team um, and our directorate, they're putting on a specific hat for this time frame for this temporary system so that we can learn and work together and have an environment that's conducive for our learning. So. Yeah, I think just one thing to add to that, uh, what you just shared, Amber, is that, you know, for some folks, uh, the conference, it really depends on the conference and where you're at and, and the traditions around those creative events. In the real traditional sense of the group relations conferences, they don't have creative events like that. The creative event is the institutional event. Um, but in other conferences, like at a, out at the University of San Diego, uh, there's a little more experimentation that goes along with that, you know, to create other ways to activate um, and to tap into uh, the unconscious dynamics, which is what group relations is seeking to study. Um, but with that being said, I think it seems like we've covered pretty much all the different structures you know that you could go into in a group relations conference. And you know, even with sharing this, I think for me, it still is something that you have to go through, you know, to experience it and to see it in different scenarios and, and different ways that it's offered uh, to really get a real appreciation for these kind of structures and then more importantly to be able to take what you learn about these kind of structures and to bring that into your um, environments your work environments or, or into your life for that matter uh, to really deepen the learning and to take the learning from the conference setting as some unique experience and to actually apply what you have learned in, in the changing of behaviors one thousand percent um, okay, well, this about wraps up today's session. What was that? What was that, Rod? I said facts, man. It is. Um, my fantasy is that this was helpful for, for those that are new to group relations conferences and group relations work in general. Um, and for group relations uh, listeners that are already familiar, I hope you were able to reflect on your own experiences and learnings that emerged as we unpacked our experiences and concepts of the conference structure. Um, Thank you for tuning in today. Um, It's been great to be here with you all and to be present with you all. And I look forward to seeing everyone at at our next uh, recording. All right, this has been Beyond the Boundaries, a group relations podcast sponsored by Group Relations International. See y'all next time. Peace and love. And we're out.